Good morning. I kind of thought I drew the lucky straw and there'd be 30 people here or we'd cancel church and I wouldn't have to preach this morning. <laughs> but look at you. That's awesome. I'm really glad that you're here. And I'm really glad that I'm here. Let's pray together. Father God, Abba, Daddy, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent. Thank you for knowing my name. Thank you for knowing our names. And thank you for drawing us together this morning. Father, we ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you that you hold us, that you lead us, that you really do protect us. Father, thank you that you are transforming us in ways we can't even comprehend through means that we would never ask for because you're doing a very deep thing. You are creating a place and a people with whom you will spend eternity. Thank you for that. And thank you that that's done through the power of your grace, through the words of your gospel. So Holy Spirit, would you come and move with power in my heart, in our hearts, in this place, blow through here by your spirit. Leave no heart unturned. Come and have your way. Thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Coming back full circle. You've heard that expression, right? Have you experienced it? I've experienced it powerfully in the last year and even in the last two months. I'm just going to share a couple examples of what that has looked like for me. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you haven't. And I don't know if it's a function of age. It seems like the longer you have lived or the longer you've followed Christ, maybe there's certainly more opportunity for experiencing coming full circle. And sometimes coming full circle has been a negative for some of us. Our circles have come back around and we've experienced something negative over and over. My examples this morning are positive, but I want to acknowledge that it can go both ways. And it has in my life as well, but not without effect. And that's the good news. God knows how to not waste one of our tears. We may not see it. We may not experience the positive yet, but if you're in Christ, it's coming. So, two full circle experiences have taught me things in the last year, the last months, and they continue to teach me. Here they are. Uh, in May of 2018, as most of you, some of you know, me and my family returned to our previous church community. We left Orangewood in 2008 by God's design. 
We left this room. I even had stood in this place before and God took us away, took us to Boone, North Carolina, where we lived in beautiful mountainous. It was beautiful up there. Real challenging decade on many levels, but good challenges. And then God, by his design, called us back to my previous church community, to my previous pastoral role of a decade earlier, and even enabled us to move into our previous house that we could not sell and I was angry at God about. (laughs) Many things were the same. Many things were different. Not the least of which, me. And guess what? You. And I say that for the good. So that's my first full circle. It was strange. Still is some days. My uh, 20-year-old daughter said at one point, she spent part of the summer here last, not this summer, but the previous one. She said, Dad, it feels like somebody hit the pause button for 10 years. And now he hit it again. And here we are. So it does feel that way sometimes. I'm glad to be back. The second experience of coming back full circle was two months ago. I went back, a couple of you asked me about that even this morning, and I shared a little bit about this trip when I preached the last time a few weeks back. But I went back to see my mother in Wilmington, Delaware. She's in her 90s in a care facility, and um, I was able to spend time with her, but I also was able to spend time with a childhood friend, David Crary, who I knew from the time of infancy and lived next door to from the time of being an infant. I grew up in the same house. I'm kind of an anomaly. I actually was born into the same household and didn't leave it till I drove away, a college grad to move to Augusta, Georgia to work for DuPont. Lived in the same house, same bedroom, crazy. David Crary was my next door neighbor and my very best friend. We went to kindergarten together and first through sixth grade together. We did everything together. We shared each other's houses. We shared each other's moms. (laughs) Walked to school together, all through elementary school, all the way through sixth grade. Then he moved the summer of seventh grade. And we gradually grew apart. Grew apart in high school, had different interests. Uh, Didn't keep in touch much at all through college and really at all through adulthood. So almost 40 years went by. And when I went back up to see my mom, part of the reason I went that time two months ago was because his mom, Betty Crary, was under hospice care. Not my mom, but Betty was under hospice care. And I knew I needed to go see my mom, who I hadn't seen in a year, and I knew that I wanted to see Betty as well. So I drove up and I spent time with my mom. I spent time with Betty Crary, and I spent time with my friend David. And it was really weird because... Like I said, we spent most of our years between first and sixth grade together. Now we're both 60 years old. It's been like four decades. It did not feel like four decades. It felt like yesterday. It was weird. 
And he told me about his wife that he had met in the last 10 years. She, I just missed meeting her. Um, and uh, he took me to a Vietnamese restaurant. We had a Vietnamese sandwich, which I'd never had ever. And he was always introducing me to new things, which I love about David. He was the brighter of the two of us. I was the extrovert, he was the introvert. Um, but we love each other. And the most beautiful thing was we got to spend time together visiting each other's moms. And that was just amazing. And I loved it because one day I was talking to my mom and I was telling her, hey, you know, Betty Crary's in hospice and she remembered Betty. And then I said, yeah, and David's here too, mom. And she's going, David? And I'm going, yeah, Betty's son. You know, she has three sons. Sometimes when your parents get older, you get used to kind of explaining things to them because they just don't remember. I'm going, yeah, you remember David and Jonathan and Stephen? And she's going, no, don't have any idea who you're talking about. So anyway, the next day was the day David and I came to visit my mother and I loved it because we walked into the room. I came in first and David came in behind me and I watched my mom's face. She saw me, then she looked at the man behind me and this big smile came on her face and her bony little finger came up and she started going, she's going, I know you. And I just loved that because I just, I had a feeling that, yeah, mom, you don't know who David is by word, but when you see him, it'll all connect and it did. And David and I got to spend wonderful time with Frida, who David, David thinks my mom looks like Annette Benning. I didn't see that, but that, that was cool. And then I went to, got to go see Betty. And Betty was her sweet, lovely Betty self. Um, and she smiled and we talked. And Betty had a whole lot of visitors every day. My mom had no visitors except for me. Um, there's a reason for that, but we won't go there today. <laughs> Betty died three days after I got in the car to drive back here. I got to tell her I loved her three days before she passed. I don't know if she's a believer or not. Um, I didn't really come to Christ till my mid-20s. I was separated from, you know, that family and didn't see David very much. It always did, I did wonder though, however, that they named their children Ruthie, David, Jonathan, and Stephen. <clears throat> so I think there was something going on there. <laughs> so anyway, coming full circle, it was surreal, but not. There was this strong feeling of connectedness relationally um, in both full circle experiences, both here, really strong relational connection with this place, with this ministry, but with so many of you. And it's sweet to be back and to be developing new relationships. I'm meeting new people, it's great. But a really strong sense of connectedness with David and his mother, and even my mother. It was almost as if coming back here or going up to be with David and our moms was supposed to happen. It felt that way. Have you ever had that experience? It was coming around full circle, being back in a place where I'd been with people I had been with, but it was changed. It was different, but it felt right. Not in a moral right or wrong way. It just felt right. Like this is where I'm supposed to be at this moment, exactly in time. 
even to the point where those experiences fresh in my mind now, they still affect my thinking today. It's as if <laughs> there is someone guiding my path in astounding ways that I couldn't fathom. Through thick and thin, joy and sorrow, sickness and in health, storm and in calm, there is someone guiding me with purpose and intentionality. The Bible teaches that God is actually the creator. He is not in creation, stuck in here in time and space with us. He is outside creation. He is beyond time and space. And he has complete authority over time and space. We're in here, he is not. Though he can come in if he so chooses. And in fact, he did in bodily form in the person of Jesus, right? God, outside of time and space, incarnate in time and space because he loves us. Wow. And he is bringing all things full circle. Love that song, by the way. He's bringing all things full circle. From the fall in the Garden of Eden to the coming eternal kingdom with a new Jerusalem, even a new heavens and a new earth. From a new garden with new human beings walking with God in it to a renewed garden planet with renewed people, restored, renewed, walking with God for all time. You see it? Things are coming full circle. And it's beautiful. The big picture is glorious. And the details in between sometimes are not so beautiful, are they? Why is that? Let me read the text this morning. It's out of Acts 3. Uh, I'm going to read 1 through 21. And uh, follow along in your Bibles. It's not going to be up there. Actually, one of the verses will be. I can put it up there. <clears throat> We're going to end with those three. But I'm going to read the context. You ready? Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that'd be 3 p.m., and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. As he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Now here is his second sermon. If you remember at the beginning of the R&R &R series, I preached on Peter's first sermon at Pentecost, one chapter earlier in Acts 2. I haven't gotten very far, have I? 
Here's his message. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your, also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And this brings us to the passage behind me. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Wow. So that's our context. A renewed Simon, now Peter, the rock, heals a lame man. His ankles and feet are restored. And then he takes that opportunity to preach to the crowd that is amazed by this. And he challenges them to repent and believe and be renewed in Jesus Christ. So this is our text. I want you to notice I've boldened some words here. They're re-words, words that begin with R-E. This prefix means again or again and again. And God loves rewords, doesn't he? The word return appears in scripture 400 times. Why? Because this meta narrative that God is telling in his word is all about a people that he's claimed and called to himself who constantly wander rebelliously away, and God calls them to return and return and return. <laughs> so here's this text. Repent, therefore, and turn back. So you see the word repent, you see the word refreshing, you see the word restoring, and then at the bottom, that's my sentence, this passage is a renewed Peter, and what is he doing? He's retelling the gospel to an audience, which likely includes some that maybe were in his first sermon earlier on. So I want to show you something that God revealed to me through this passage. Peter explains the gospel in this verse through a progression of re-words, the progression of a sinner's heart. So here's the progression. You're relying on yourself and something causes you to come to your senses. You repent. 
When you repent, the Lord replenishes you. As he replenishes you, he also restores you. He recommissions you to your cause, that which he's created you for. And then when you do that and you live out of that, as you yourself are renewed, you bring renewal to a dark world. Do you see that cycle? So, when you repent, what is repenting? I've talked about this before. You're familiar with this term, many of you. But to repent is to rethink. It's to recognize, recognize. Recognize what? Who God is and who you are. How holy and righteous he is, how not you are. And you come to your senses. You turn from moving away from the creator and lover of your soul. You realize you're moving away. You see the damage that that causes. And you turn back. That's repent. You recognize what's actually truly happening in your heart and through your life. You recognize because God gives you eyes to see, correct? By his spirit. And then you remember. You remember who he is and who you are. You remember the gospel if you're in Christ already. You remember. You're coming alive. You're coming awake. You're recognizing, remembering, and you're re-exchanging. Chuck, what do you mean by that? What happened in the garden? What got exchanged? Adam and Eve had God's word as truth. Satan came in and said, no, God's word's not truth. My word is truth. And what happened? Adam and Eve made an exchange. They chose to believe Satan's lies as truth. Was it true? No. And then all hell broke loose, quite literally. So what happens when you repent? You re-exchange. You recognize that you're believing a lie and you re-exchange it for the truth again, right? Repent, re-exchange, remember, recognize. That's what repentance is, you with me? So as you do that, this verse, Peter says that at, when you repent, he says this, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So what's replenish? The Greek word replenish implies a couple things. It implies relief. Well, where does the relief come from? The relief comes from when you repent, when you turn from your sin and turn to God, what does he do? He washes away the guilt and the shame, two incredibly powerful emotions that probably most all of us have experienced recently, and maybe to a crippling extent. Guilt and shame. They can be crushing, can't they? And what does Peter say? When you repent of your sinful tendency and you recognize that you're moving away from him and you remember the gospel and you return and turn back towards him, acknowledging that you're broken and sinful and that you need his saving grace, he replenishes you. He washes away the effects spiritually of guilt and shame. He relieves you of that. You experience spiritual relief because you sense, you experience forgiveness, his forgiveness. But also, that word replenish implies another aspect. It's re-energize. 
So yes, God wipes away completely the penalty of sin. But at the same time, he gives you his Holy Spirit. He re-energizes you with the second, the third person of the Trinity. And the Spirit is planted inside of you. You with me? So you repent, you experience replenishment. And where does it come from? Where do you get replenished? P Peter's so clear here. In the presence of the Lord, that's where you will experience replenishment. Are you going there? Do you get into his presence? Clearly you are this morning. Praise God, we're all in his presence. The corporate body of the church, here we are. That's a good thing. So what happens next? Restore. Restore happens. Regenerate. Whoops, back one. Come back. Boom. Regenerate. You're restored. You're, you repent. You get replenished. Then you are restored. What do I mean by that? You are regenerated. That which died off is reinvigorated by God, by his Holy Spirit. And you are recommissioned. Recommissioned for what? That's which he created you to be. And that's to reflect his character, to proclaim his gospel, to make disciple makers of all the earth. That is your ultimate purpose, is to reflect his goodness and to be his hands and feet in a dark and broken world. He restores you to your role that you are created to be with your unique gifts, your unique abilities. Rep repentance, replenish, restore. You're regenerated and you are recommissioned. And then lastly is renewal. What happens with renewal? You are re-engaged. You retell the story that you are living in Christ and renewal or revival begins to happen. It had to start in your heart and as you move out, you're recommissioned, you're re-employed, you're re-engaged in the ministry he's called all of us to, revival happens, you with me? So there's the circle. It's a circle, all right? Now I wanna show you who's writing this passage in Acts 3. Who is it about? It's about Peter. These are Peter's words. Repent, right? These are Peter's, this is Peter's second sermon. I want to show you. How does he know what he's talking about? He does. Peter, at the Last Supper, which we're going to come to this table before we're done today, which is awesome. Peter is experiencing the Last Supper with Jesus. And uh, he boasts about how committed he is to Jesus, doesn't he? And what does Jesus tell him? Something very humbling, very humbling. I just want to read this. So Peter boasts about how committed he is to Jesus. Look, listen to what Jesus tells Peter. Simon, Simon, repeats his name twice, doesn't call him Peter, calls him Simon, but he repeats his name. This is a very personal comment Jesus is about to make to Peter affectionately, concerningly, compassionately. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And listen to what he says next. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I love that. Jesus hasn't, Peter hasn't denied Jesus yet. 
He hasn't committed that sin yet. And what's Jesus doing here? He's going, Peter, you're going to blow it. You're going to blow it big. But then he tells Peter, Peter, I've prayed for you. And when you turn back, basically, when you repent, I will replenish you and I will restore you. And I want you to strengthen your brothers. Because Peter, I've called you to be the lead apostle. So are you going to be great and perfect and never screw up, Peter? No, you're going to screw up royally. In fact, you're going to deny even knowing me, even in my presence. But Peter, I've prayed for you. So Peter knows. He boasts about dying for Jesus. Then he goes out. He denies Jesus three times. The cock crows. He is sorrowful to repentance. So he recognizes his sin, especially at that third denial, and Jesus makes eye contact with him. They're in the same courtyard. He recognizes, he remembers, he's sorrowful, he re-exchanges. He bought a lie. If I deny Jesus, I won't get hurt. <laughs> he was watching out for himself. That's what he was doing. He's trying to protect himself. He was afraid. I don't even know the man, he said. But he repents, right? And then what happens? He's replenished. We know in the story as this goes on, Christ dies, he's risen again, and Christ appears. He appears at least twice, maybe three times to Peter. One of those times is in the upper room. Another one of those times, they're fishing. It's like eight days after, and they're fishing. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And some of the other guys, are about seven disciples that are fishing that night. They catch nothing. Some guy on the beach, you know, with a charcoal, with, with a fire going, says, hey, put your net on the other side. Have they heard this before? Yeah. <laughs> and John, I love it, because John is the one that says, I realized it was Jesus, and I told Peter. I love that back and forth between John and Peter, right? We both ran to the tomb. I got there first, but he went in first. I love it. Only eyewitnesses could talk like that, right? Only eyewitnesses could know those kind of details. That's why I, one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is so true. But Jesus meets them, and at that time, they're in the boat, they're fishing. Peter, John says, that's Jesus. Jesus says, throw the net on the other side. It's full of fish. They bring it in, and uh, Peter jumps out of the boat, swims up, and th this is that classic moment, right, where Jesus goes, you know, no, nobody would, like, talk to him. <laughs> you know, they were like, they knew it was him, but they were, like, awestruck, which that's a good thing. Um, and Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you remember this? And, and Peter basically says, yes, you know I love you. And then he asks him again, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. I love you. And then he asked him a third time. And it says in scripture, Peter's, Peter's kind of hurt at this point. It's like, you know, because Jesus knows everything. He knows Peter's heart. But what was Jesus doing? Why did Jesus ask him, do you love me three times? What was he doing? He was in the presence of Peter. He was replenishing Peter, but he was also restoring Peter to his prior role. For each denial, Peter had to humble himself and answer that same question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because you sure didn't act like it in that courtyard back there where you denied me three times. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. You know I love you, Lord. You with me? Peter understands this cycle. And what does Peter do? He or Jesus, he restores Peter. He re re regenerates Peter's faith. 
Peter was crushed. He was remorseful. He was repentant. And now he's with the risen Jesus. And Jesus is basically saying, you are still my man. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. He recommissioned him to his role. Right? That's awesome. And it's beautiful. So what happens to Peter after he repents? He's in the presence of Jesus and he is replenished. Jesus restores him to what he was created and called to be and do. What happens? Peter then moves out by faith and brings renewal. He re-engages. He retells the gospel. Here he is. Acts 2, telling the gospel. Acts 3, telling the gospel. And revival is happening. Second sermon, 5,000 come to Christ. Revival is happening, but not without great cost. And so we see this cycle that Peter goes around, right? We see it. There it is. Self-reliance, you see it, you're convicted of your sin, you repent. Then in the presence of the Lord, you are replenished and he restores you. And then he uses you as an agent of revival and renewal in the lives of those around you. There's the cycle. So, do you see yourself in this cycle? I just put some questions up there. Just think about it. Are you self-reliant about some area of your life? You're like, God, I know I'm yours and I've surrendered my life to you, but I'm gonna, I've got control of this issue. I'll handle my money, thank you, Lord. I've got control of my comfort and I need this level of comfort, Lord, so I'm not gonna sacrifice. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Those are two that get me. <laughs> I want control of certain aspects of my life so I can stay safe and comfortable. And those are idols for me. Dorian excites those idols for me. My stuff, my money, my cars. I don't even have nice stuff, but they're nice to me. <laughs> my air conditioning, how are we gonna survive without air conditioning for several days? Power, oh my gosh, I gotta go run a get a generator. Ellie will tell you, we spent like six hours the other day trying to find a uh, Coleman stove. Or, or something, a propane something that didn't cost $150 because I'm cheap. So I couldn't find one. Two places, we got to Lowe's down at Lake Buena Vista because instead of prepping my house, I spent half of Friday at Disney. So, um, so anyway, um, because I like escaping reality too. So anyway, we went to Lowe's and we got to the grill section and there was a lady looking at the last one on the shelf and she was looking through the manual and I was like, can I just grab it and run? <laughs> No, I can't do that. She looked at it for like 15 minutes and she knew I was hovering. I was hovering back there, waiting for her, you know. Oh, she didn't take it, but then I found out why it was broken. So anyway, so we went, we went over to, um, where did we go next? Home Depot? Went to Home Depot. It was like seven miles away. Then we went to, we went to this athletic store. No, it wasn't athletics. It was like outdoor gear. Oh, they didn't have any. We went to Home Depot. Yes, 
We run to the, run to the aisle where the girls, and there's this man and his wife, and they're looking through the manual and looking at the last one on the shelf, and I'm going, I'm really getting ticked at God now. I'm going, God, what are you doing? You're like tricking me. I've been out here for two and a half hours trying to find a propane grill so we can cook eggs when we don't have any power, God. Why won't, you know? And then he, he picked it up. He smiled at me as he walked away to go pay for it. I was like, nah. So anyway, I call Amy, and you know what Amy says? She says, I don't think God wants you to have a propane grill. My, my wife can just cut through the crap so fast. I'm trying to, you know, uh, that's why I married her. That's why God gave her to me. She balances me up. I live in false reality. I'm about 10 feet off the ground, and sometimes she's buried up to her knees in reality. And so we, she digs, I dig her out. She pulls me down, and we're a great match. And uh, she's the realist. I'm the idealist. She'll tell you that. It's true. But we've been around this circle a few times. Isn't it true? You don't just go around once. That's my point. Oh, we got to look at a couple of these questions here. So self-reliance, what do you boast about? Do you deny Jesus in what aspect of your life? Your work, your work life, your love life, your money life? What part of your life do you tend to not want Jesus to have control over? You need to give that up. Worldly or godly sorrow? I'm sorry that I got caught, but I'm not really sorry that I'm a sinner. Those are two different things. One sorrow leads you to repentance. The other kind of sorrow just breaks your heart over and over and over again. You need to stop with the worldly sorrow. You need to repent and go to God with your brokenness, okay? Um, meet with Jesus to refresh. Do you? What does your devotion like look like? Are you working on it? Just work on it. That's all I say. It's all I'm going to tell you. Whatever you're doing, you probably can do more, you know? Um, if you're not spending time with Jesus as your most important relationship this coming week, I encourage you to do it. And it's interesting how hurricanes drive us onto our knees before God. I've been praying that God would turn this hurricane completely back out to sea all week, you know? And lots of you got, lots of you have, but my prayers are the ones that are making it turn, okay? So anyway, um, so, um, so isn't that crazy? Experiencing restoration to service. Are you experiencing restoration? When you go through this cycle, is it just so you can get back to that comfort zone again? And you go, oh, thank you, God, for letting me be comfortable again. No, he's replenishing us and restoring us so that we can serve more, more effectively. Okay, are you experiencing restoration to service? And then spirit-empowered revival through you to bring revival. Spirit-empowered renewal through you to bring revival. All right. So, I got one last illustration, but I want to show you this. This return cycle can be shown with a 2D circle, right? That's two-dimensional up there. It's, is that how life is? Um, sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? But we don't have a God who's two-dimensional. He's not even three-dimensional. He's not even four-dimensional. He's bigger than we are. He's multi-dimensional. This is not a 2D cycle. What if God uses this cycle continually as a recycle process? <laughs> what do you mean by that? That means for your spiritual growth, he will lead you around this cycle again and again. Recycle. And the Christian life is all about recycling, is it not? He wants to reduce your selfishness. He wants to renew you so he can reuse you.
to build the kingdom. Do you see it? We didn't even come up with the recycle cycle. He did. Reduce, renew, reuse. We are being recycled. Why? Because we've been marred by our selfishness and our sin. We need to be renewed. We need to be restored. It starts with the Holy Spirit convicting us to repent and to own our need. So, <clears throat> you saw a slinky on your bulletin. I bought one. I like slinkies. A little bit of my engineering comes out when I see a slinky. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are represented in this, but um, I need three volunteers. Actually, I need two volunteers. Ellie, come on up, because I already asked you. I need two more. Two more, two more, two more. Anybody? Any kids? Come on. Come on up. One more. Can, one more? One more, one more. Oh. All right. Come up. All right. Guys, where are you? This is like my household. I'm loving it, actually. All right. Ellie, you stand right here. Come here. Tell me your name. Julie. What? Julie. Hi, Julie. Good to meet you. Come here. You stand here. Come here. What's your name? Isabel. Hi, Isabel. You stand here. What's your name? Amelia. Amelia. Come here. You stand here. Come here. Miss Shepherd. You stand right. Maybe. Stand right here. Maybe. Okay. I want you to, you know what? Switch places with her. You come here. We're going to start. I want you to hold this low. Hold it down here. Yeah, there you go. And then we're going to stretch this out. You hold that. You hold that. You hold that. Okay, we're going to really, we're going to really stretch this here. And then Ellie, you stand right here, right there. All right. So, good job. So, what does this represent? It's a crude representation of your life. And this is how God sanctifies us, correct? And it kind of looks like, hold that up high, Ellie. All right, no, no, no. You guys all hold it down where you were. Just Ellie, hold it up high. So life does not work this way. God doesn't gradually, gradually, well, I guess he does, but it's not in a linear fashion. It's much messier than what we have re represented here. But let's say you come to Christ here, right? You're gonna go around this circle of repentance, right? Repentance, replenish, restore, revive. You're going to go around this circle again and again and again and again. And like, let's say you come to Christ as a child. And by the time you're 15, you've grown, you become more like Christ. Do you have more circles to go around? Yes. It never stops. It just keeps coming. Right? So you keep growing and maybe you have a period in college where you don't feel like you've grown like you did previously. And matter of fact, it feels like you've gotten worse. 
but are you progressing? Are you learning with each time around the circle? Is God deepening your understanding of who he is and who you are and how much you need the gospel? Yes, you are moving through this coil and then you continue to grow, you continue to grow and now you're 30. You're, you're not 30, I know you're not 30. But let's say you're 30 and, and you're, listen, you're higher than you were here, you've learned more, you're certainly way beyond where you were in the beginning and you've realized that this cycle thing, it's not actually wearing you out and destroying you, it's making you stronger. You're stronger. It's making you stronger. But does it stop? No, it keeps coming. There's always more sin to be exposed and revealed. In fact, when you get to this point, you're actually spiritually strong enough to deal with some of your really deep idols that are really hard to deal with. So even though you grew when you were 20, there's stuff this 20-year-old can't handle, but this 30-year-old can face. It's tough and it's deep and it's gonna be painful, but you can do it. And God takes you through that cycle. And then it keeps going and going and Ellie holds the high one. I don't know, at some point in time, Christ comes back or you die and God reviews you, restores you completely and you are conformed to the image of Christ. Isn't that cool? All right, thank you team. Don't go anywhere. All right. Slinky, slinky, slinky. Okay, let go. Slinky. Daughter. I love you. <laughs> All right, sit down. Make sense? Growing as a Christian is hard, but God is committed to finishing what he started in you. We never want to. We will always come up upon stuff in our life. We're going, stop, God, I can't take it. Will he stop? Nope, he won't. Why? Because he's committed to loving you and he's committed to forming in you who he wants you to be. Pray with me. Father, abide in you, yes, we can only abide in you though because you'll never let us go. That's the beauty of it. Father, we abide in you, we remain in you because of your faithfulness, not ours. Because of the power of your gospel, not our power to believe. But we recognize even our power to believe is from you. So Lord, we have to grow in our utter dependence on your gospel. We have to grow in disciplines, Father, that you teach us along the way. We have to learn how to repent, how to stay humble, how to humble ourselves by your enabling. We have to learn, Father, how to get into your presence through reading your word and memorizing your scriptures. Father, through meditation and through prayer and through community with other believers and through corporate worship in our church, we have to learn and develop these disciplines to be in your presence. And when we're in your presence, Lord, your Holy Spirit conforms our hearts, transforms us more and more. And we are made by you into the image of Jesus, your son. We take on his character and his nature. We begin to love what he loves and we begin to hate what he hates. And it's this progression, this beautiful, awful progression that we're a part of, Lord. And you have promised 
to be with us through every coil of life, every cycle you are there. The ones that are coming, you're already there. So Father, we're not falling apart. We're falling together. And you are making something beautiful. You're making a people and a place whereby you will spend eternity with us in perfect relationship. And I just praise you and thank you for the gospel. Lord, if there's somebody here who has yet to repent and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, because we're sinners and we deserve death, but because you love us, you sent your son to die in our place. Father, you sent him and he came willingly, lovingly came and he went to the cross and he bled and he died. And then you rose him from the dead. He rose from the dead unto eternal life. And Father, through faith in the risen living Jesus right now, we have the power to be taken from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Lord, please draw all of us closer to your heart. Draw us into that next coil and help us, enable us to repent, to be replenished, to be restored, and then to be agents of renewal. We pray all this in his most powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Now we have the privilege of coming to the Lord's table, eating that meal that Jesus ate with Peter that night, that he told Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but don't worry, I have prayed for you, and when you return, strengthen your brothers. We come to this meal as an act of faith. And when Jesus was with his disciples that night, the night he was arrested, he took bread, and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup in like manner. And he said, this cup is the new promise, the new covenant, the gospel promise in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in faith, in remembrance of me. Church, pray with me. Father, take these elements and use them for their supernatural purpose of feeding us grace, feeding us faith, strengthening us spiritually, Father, giving us the oomph to get through that next cycle. Father, please strengthen and build your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As you feel led, please come to one of the stations to receive the elements, we have a gluten-free table in the back. Come and feed on Christ, your champion and your savior.